You're listening to Four at the Back with Joe, Maz, Neil and Pete, where we look back at our favourite football sides from the Premier League era. From champagne football to shambolic debacles, each week we'll take a nostalgic view of some of the most memorable squads from the annals of our footballing fandom. It'll be light-hearted, fairly shaky on the facts, but who cares? Relive your youth and go with Four at the Back. <laughs> Welcome back. It's episode five of Four at the Back, and on the day of recording, it's transfer deadline day, which is quite fitting because we've been talking about Harry Redknapp. <laughs> um, <laughs> Tottenham Hotspur, uh, two thousand nine, two thousand ten. I think up until this point, Tottenham have been perennial underachievers. I think that's fair to say. Certainly disappointing their fans. I don't know, um, it's funny, we were always a cup team, I think, you know, and that was the that was kind of what I grew up with, was like FA Cup, like 91 winners, 92 semi-final, 90, uh, sorry, 87 finalists. So I, I kind of grew up with with us being a team that has cup runs. Um, I think the pride probably started being restored by Martin Yol. So really from like 05, 06 onwards, you know, bar a kind of, the odds like bad interlude here and there I think it's been a very consistently good 15 years I'd say to be a Spurs fan I mean I think you know the late 90s was the worst time and uh, the last 15 years have been by and large very good wasn't it Martin Yall who put together a lot of the players that would go on to be this side in the first place and then you had the interlude with Juan de Ramos in the middle uh, and then once Redknapp came in, didn't he rebuy a lot of the players that, uh, <laughs> that Ramos had let go? Uh, like Jermaine Defoe, Robbie Keane, Chimbonda, uh, Eunice Kabul. Uh, half the size, it seemed, was re-bought, having been let go. Yeah, the the, the, the old team with Keane and Defoe and, uh, you know, uh, Ledley King, obviously, was in that team. That was a, that was a really good team. And in many ways, I think probably my my favourite Spurs team, um, particularly when when Lennon started to to get a lot of game time. Um, so yeah, that was that was a really good team, and and I think what Redknapp did was he he kind of um, went back to basics with it. I think it was interesting because when Redknapp came in, I remember like not being massively convinced. I guess it's maybe that sort of West Ham Spurs rivalry. I kind of saw him as a as such a kind of West Ham guy. I I didn't really. I didn't really have that that much of a high expectation for what he might do. But I think the thing with Redknapp was that he just believed in buying good players and letting them play. Um, and that was exactly what he did. And, and, and it was a real swashbuckling side. And, 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 you know, that's what we want at the lane is we want that kind of, you know, attacking gung-ho football. And, 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 and Redknapp brought that. Um, and there were some really good signings that that, that that really helped and you know uh ramos for whatever reason couldn't really do much with them although there's the great irony that one of our worst managers actually won our last trophy um but uh i think the signing of you know the sign of modric was 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 such a huge coup and and and, and really probably the best footballer ever seen play live i'd say just i mean i went to see them play a couple of times that season and to see Modric live he just absolutely runs the show absolutely runs the show uh, that's a Ramos signing as well isn't it is Modric yeah so he he was uh we bought him before Euro 2008 actually and it was not a big fee really and then he lit up Euro 2008 I remember and it suddenly looked very cheap um but oh. it's interesting I, I saw a thing with um uh, recently, they did on the Athletic. They did the Premier League 60, counting down the 60 greatest Premier League players, and, and Modric was what was in there. And an interesting point was that Redknapp was the one that moved him into central midfield because obviously he'd been a, a number ten growing up, and Redknapp stuck him, you know, in in that engine room. And um, and a lot of people thought he couldn't play there because he was obviously a, a, a small guy. But he, um, 
he absolutely could. And, and that was one of probably Redknapp's you know, real big decisions that, that went well. I mean, this wasn't a season that I mean, it threatened to go very wrong early on because the you, you had that sort of central defensive core of Ledley King, who is described on Wikipedia as the permanently semi-injured Ledley King. Um, obviously, he had um, he, he had he had chronic knee problems, didn't he? He and did. They, he couldn't train. He was he, he effectively all he did was play, and. Um, Modern-day Paul McGrath, in that sense. Woodgate started the season injured, returned in October, and was injured again by the end of November. And um, Michael Dawson also got injured as well. Um, so suddenly, there's there's no centre-backs. Uh, they ended up bringing in uh, Sebastian Bassong from, from Newcastle, of all teams. He was all right, you know. He wasn't a, yeah, he was, he was quite good for us as well. Um, but uh, so we, we, we're quite because we uh, it was a time when we weren't really flush with good centre halves, um, so it was a bit of a blow. <laughs> um, and you know, Chor Luca would sometimes fill in um, at centre half for us as well. Um, yeah, it, it's it's funny actually, but I mean, the thing about a red nut team is that um, you, you don't tend to associate them with. Um, with defensive play, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but Ledley King was so good. Like, Ledley King on one leg was better than most centre-halves on two. So, yeah, when Ledley was playing, he was um, almost always an eight out of ten player. I mean, it's a real shame that he that he was injured as, as much as he was, because I think, you know, he'd arguably he'd have, he'd have dislodged one of Ferdinand or Terry in, in that England central defence had, had he been fit. He was, I, th- I think he was that good. It'll certainly give him a run for their money, uh, at the least. Well, I mean, he he may have ended up at one of those clubs. You never know. The uh, I suppose at the other end of the park, the the big signing for Spurs this season was Peter Crouch. Um, Darren Bent was sold, and uh, they they bought the longest player in history. But he, he was um, he he effectively followed Redknapp from Portsmouth, and there's 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 a sort of a, there's a trend of sort of former Portsmouth players who end up there. I think Cranchar ends up as a as the uh, the token uh, transfer deadline day signing at the end of August um, this season. And, and Crouch comes from Portsmouth as well. And Defoe. Yeah, Defoe, uh, Defoe comes along a bit later, doesn't it? Was that in... Was he, it was, that was January Defoe came along, wasn't it? Yeah, reuniting the uh, the basically his Portsmouth team effectively, and uh, uh, Robbie Robbie Keane made way and went on loan to Celtic, which I thought was a strange one at the time. Uh, it's it's a funny one because Keane was this. Before, I think it was after he went to Liverpool and we yeah. got him back from Liverpool, and then he went up to Celtic because basically Crouch and Defoe became. Redknapp's first choice stri- strike partnership um, and you know they were pretty consistently together and Redknapp did like his little and large partnership and you know the year afterwards we buy Van der Vaart like he often plays Crouch with Van der Vaart just behind him in a kind of 4-4-1-1 um, and that was just something that Redknapp liked really but Crouch was fantastic that season I think it's probably you know, he had a really good one, really good season for Liverpool. I remember, but I think that 0-9-10 season is probably, you know, the best Peter Crouch season that I I recall. He was he was very very good that year. I mean, it helps that he stays fit. I mean, there's there's so many players in this season who who don't manage to stay fit. But I think Crouch Crouch plays more games than anyone. He he, he plays all 38 Premier League games, which is you know, no one else in the squad manages that. Um, so there's clearly there's injury problems throughout, but I suppose that the squad has been has been developed to a point where they can just about keep up. Although it does show sort of throughout the season, they never sort of I don't think they they put more than five games together unbeaten before being defeated. And it's not sometimes they go down to to teams above them, but sometimes they also lose to sides they really should be beating, and it just kind of perhaps shows that, that sometimes the squad is a little bit thin on the ground. 
Yes, it's, I mean, welcome to being a Spurs fan. Like losing to teams you should beat is pretty much like that's <laughs> that's pretty much our uh, modus operandi. But um, I, I think you know the the, the league that season is quite interesting because um, the Champions League places, you know, they're relatively low points, particularly when you look at um, what it takes to get in the Champions League these days. I mean, we got in there on seventy points. Um, you know, and City just messed, just missed out on 67 because we beat them in that, you know, famous game um, with the David Bentley ice bath of Harry Redknapp. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was certainly a season where it was between us and City and they just, I guess they just didn't quite have the the experience of some of our players in those kind of situations, those tight situations. And they're not far off uh Villa, Pete, who, uh, who who managed to amass 64 points, but sort of, uh, again, aren't quite there. And I suppose th- th- this sort of this sort of time in this sort of period in history is when there's a couple of teams who who threaten to break the top four, top six, stranglehold of of Chelsea, United, Arsenal. I suppose City are kind of there now. Um, after a few years of continued investment, you'd expect. Liverpool to be there, but they're, they're nowhere this season. Liverpool, um, and um, so Spurs. This is the first time they qualified for the Champions League, and I suppose since then they've been more or less there or thereabouts. So I suppose the question is, what is it about Spurs that has allowed them to do that when teams sort of around them of, I suppose, similar stature around that time failed to do so? You think? I mean, Villa were sort of there. Um, Everton had a season where they qualified for the Champions League, uh, and then I think they they didn't qu- they went out of the qualifying rounds, didn't they? Newcastle um, a couple of times, certainly in the early two thousands, were, um, were there or thereabouts, and have obviously since um, fallen away. So what's it? What is it about Spurs that has allowed them to to do that and stay there? I can tell you the, what the difference between Spurs and Villa is, and I, maybe that'll resonate with Newcastle and your experience of, of that. Uh, we were at the end of the run, really, of having a, a push at it in this 2009-10 season, and you can feel the balance of power shifting with Spurs and Man City catching up to us. We finished sixth on like three years in a row, and... We only finished sixth this time because Liverpool underachieve and that cost Benitez's job and uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, but in our case, it was very much the invest the investment drying up. Uh, Randy Lerner was the chairman at the time, and he'd funded the O'Neill era really well for the first two or three years. Um, the thing people sometimes forget is that the Lerner finance the empire was built on credit. So 2008 was a real blow to Aston Villa. And I think he started looking at a lot of that expenditure on the fact that 10 million, 12 million could go on a player who after three or four games might not get off the bench. That was the reality of the late O'Neill era and the money dried up. He just wasn't willing to pay that kind of money anymore on players that were, were not guaranteed. Yes, he dropped 20 million quid for a Darren Bent if we said, yes, he's going to be the first team striker he'll get us out uh, of whatever. But t- 10, 12 million quid on a defender that could be a prospect wasn't wasn't an option anymore. Um, so O'Neill would walk out on the, over those grounds. But the long and short of it was that other clubs were willing to spend more and we lost players, both in terms of transfers and uh, players like Gareth Barry moved on because teams like Man City were willing to pay them more. And I think the difference is that Spurs, maybe they don't spend the way Man United do, but they've been very savvy and they have backed managers in a way that other clubs maybe haven't and have had to let players go. I think that's certainly true of, certainly of Villa. Uh, I'm not sure Everton really had the finances to make that kind of tilt in the first place. It was a, a kind of com- fortunate coming together of various factors that saw them come forth maybe it's something similar in with Newcastle maybe there were other teams with an ownership structure that wanted it more I think I mean in, in the case of Everton and probably uh, Newcastle uh, around that time sort of the early 2000s is that they're, they're effectively teams owned by well 
local businessmen they're not they don't have the investment that you know certainly city and, and chelsea did but you you think you know um the american money that came in for villa and for uh liverpool and uh for arsenal um and manchester united and play like that. there was there was no one sort of willing to bankroll um everton or or newcastle at that time and i suppose Mike Ashley coming in, there was certainly a sense of optimism when he came in because you. <laughs> it worked out so well. Yeah, it, well, yeah. It, it, I mean, it's, it's laugh, it is laughable now, but there was there was definitely uh, um, a sort of a powerful sense of um, optimism back in two thousand and seven. Um, you know, we we and, and fine, it was sort of the post Shearer era. Um, but there were still some good players coming around, and we, we, we. I suppose there was there had been a signal of intent with the signing of Michael Owen, and then um, Oberfemi Martins, and and players like that. But it was kind of a, a bit of a, a sham, really, wasn't it? The money was never going to come in. We were never going to get the investment needed to make a serious. And and around that time, other clubs were having serious investment poured into them, and Newcastle simply couldn't keep up. Um, Everton couldn't really keep up when I suppose it was only through um, sort of shrewd transfers that they managed to sort of keep pace to, to any great degree. And then obviously Moyes and, uh, and it, they, they're not in a position to challenge for a few years. That may all be changing now. Yeah, the thing about the Moyes team is that they absolutely pulled up trees to finish above Villa for those several years. I mean, every time we finished sixth, it felt like Everton finished fifth. And we were pouring so much money after getting into the Champions League. And that one year, 2008-9, it looked like we might do it briefly until um, until the famous day in Moscow where everything went wrong after that. But Everton seemed to not really have anything like the same finances, the same ability to to push on from 2005. And it really it just seemed like such a success for them to even be keeping up and staying at fifth place. It was a very different experience. We always felt like we should be catching Everton, but by this season that we're talking about now, we're looking over our shoulders and we know that if we don't make it this year, this is the last tilt. Certainly Man City are going to be catching us and and now we're worried about Tottenham as well. Um, And that's a very different experience from what we'd had a few years earlier on. I I guess just to bring us full circle, I mean, looking at the the squad that that Villa have at this time, um, I suppose the core of it is Ashley Young, James Milner, um, who both obviously go on to uh, Young goes on to United, Milner goes on to City, um, uh, Fabian Delph ends up at Man City as well, doesn't he? Yeah, um, Delph's not really a big part of the team no, at, DC, at this point. He's very young at this point. I think he's he's only about eighteen or nineteen at this point, isn't he? Yeah, we bought him from Leeds as as a project, pretty much. Um, Spurs, on the other hand seem to keep their players that they i mean and daniel levy's got a got that reputation for being a bit of a a difficult man to negotiate with and that's surely that that helps them i think the the thing is i i think really there are a few factors at play i think in us you know in spurs stepping up into that you know big six which you know to be fair like in terms of the size of the club, it was kind of something that, that, that as supporters, we always felt that, yes, if there's such a thing as a big six, then, then we're part of it. Certainly, you know, we were a big part of the Premier League being formed in the first place. Um, but obviously the results in the late, you know, mid to late 90s had not supported that whatsoever. And I think a few things happen. I think we get three really, really good managers. So, you know, first Yole, um, then Redknapp, and and lastly Pochettino. Um, which and the three of them, in different ways, I think, completely transforms the club into being what it is today. Um, you know, Vias Boas is very good for one season and then goes off the rails badly. Um, you know, Wanda Ramos was a disaster. Jacques Sontani was a disaster. But Sontani being a disaster meant we got Martin Yole, and I will always give Martin Yole so much credit for what he did to that team because his team with you know with Berbatov and Defoe and Keane and Lennon um 
you know, and King and Paul Robinson. Um, that was a really, really good team. Um, and I think also we, we, we did very well in little fire sales that were going on here and there. The Leeds bargain basement uh, youth team sales, we just absolutely plundered um, those um as we discussed on the on the Leeds uh, episode and we also uh nicked uh Kyle Walker uh from Sheffield United stuck him in the reserves and then obviously he became a a brilliant player who we also made a lot of money on uh Danny Rose obviously we took from Leeds as well um and he scores his um I think this is the season he scores his screamer against Arsenal yeah, um and uh so we were kind of getting good youth players from sort of, you know, championship clubs. Uh, we were signing really good overseas signings. Obviously, Berbatov in the, in the sort of 05-06 period, Modric here. Um, and, and then, of course, you, you have a Gareth Bale who you find in Southampton as a project and he becomes the third blessed player in the world for a little while in, in, in time. So it, it was a combination of circumstances, really, I think. But... That those those three managers to me, like Yoel, Redknapp and Pochettino, the three of them, uh, you know, uh, with Levy's backing, I mean, you have to give Levy a lot of credit for, you know, he's a he's an awkward customer, but he certainly has the club at heart. I think I'm I'm not someone that's a, that I'm not a critic of Levy at all. I think he's done a brilliant a brilliant job, um, all in all, and. And, and yeah, I think I think it's just that sort of success breeds success. And if you look at that sort of run from Martin Yo onwards, you know, 05, 06, fifth, uh, 06, 07, fifth, uh, and then a couple of down years, but then 09, 10, fourth, 10, 11, fifth, 11, 12, fourth, um, you know, 12, 13, fifth. And then we get into the sort of Pochettino run, which obviously is even better. Uh, so... Yeah, I think it's consistency. I think it's it's kind of the confidence that comes from, and obviously once you get into the Champions League, then you start making the money as well, you know, and, and, and the money means that you can, well, build a massive new stadium and you can, you know, invest in players. Now that Mourinho's there, they've opened the checkbook for him to make some pretty significant signings too. So... Uh, yeah, it's a combination of things, I think, but certainly an interesting confluence of circumstances. That last point there about once you get into the Champions League, the money comes is potentially one thing that separates Villa from all those other teams because we don't know what would have happened with the O'Neill and Lerner era had they broken in or had they even won a trophy. We don't know how different things might have been. Uh, the fact they came sixth every year and reached a final, and that's the all they have to show for that five-year period is uh is probably the most telling thing it's it, it's what separates them from that newcastle team early in the in the new millennium and and the Everton team that that came uh fourth in 2004 or 5 uh you mentioned uh buying gareth bale as a project i just wanted to to cycle back to that for a second because it is worth remembering at the start of this season he was first bad luck charm yeah it's it's, it's, it's only this season that he breaks that hoodoo of always being on the losing side and he's very much a left back still in this season. And um, he he by no means plays every game. You know, he's still developing. I think I saw something, uh, I saw something with Mike, Micah Richards recently where he was saying how um, he played against Bale that season uh, and, and Bale gave him a really hard time. And Bale said, well, that's interesting because he gave me a really hard time. Um, so, but it, it, he was he was still developing. He was still growing into his body. Um, the, the, the physical attributes were there, but he didn't, you know, he's got that, you know, he developed that massive upper body strength later on. And he didn't quite, didn't quite have that yet. He had the pace, but he didn't quite have the physicality um, that he developed later on. And it was really the season afterwards when Redknapp put him on the left wing. And that's when the pyrotechnics started and, you know, the skinning of Mycon uh, in the Sun Zero. Um, and things like that uh, ruined Mike On's career in a single evening. Is it worth talking about the the run into this 2009-10 season first before we start thinking about the Champions League? Yeah, I mean, uh, it was pretty nail-biting. I mean, that's my main memory of it. Was Sorry, I was just going to say, my main memory is that uh, City had to play us and Spurs in about a week. 
and it was a very much uh, we were still kind of sort of interested in fourth place at the time and they, they tonked us and then had to go and play you in a very famous game yeah i mean i, I unbelievably uh nervous nervous occasion and i i was very suppose i i i feared the worst <laughs> to be absolutely honest about it um but you know sort of that was that was really i mean had we missed out on champions league that year it's i mean we talked about sliding doors moments a few times and i i do wonder if if we hadn't have won that game uh whether we'd ever have have, have got in there because of course we had lasagna gate a few years before which was our other opportunity to get in the champions league and obviously that has gone uh, badly wrong um so yeah that the one nil win with crouch very late on um will always be a hero to spurs fans you know from that point onwards um because i mean if i mean looking at at that run in you know we lose to sunderland which is a game you should win uh we lose to united which is fair enough um and then after we beat city we uh we end up losing to Burnley the last day of the season after uh, after qualification has been assured. Uh, so yeah, lots of um, lots of nerves, but it, we managed to come through it. And I think you know that then meant that the Champions League campaign happened. And as we said, like it was a a very good debut campaign. And it's one of the, probably the most important uh, addition for that Champions League campaign. Uh, Probably Van der Vaart, is it fair to say? Oh God, what a player! Um, oh, would love, be in one of my Van would be in my yeah would probably be in my my all time sort of you know if I was going to do my Spurs eleven like he'd make he'd make it in no questions asked like just a wonderful player um, and you know he did so many things that that just endeared himself to the fans you know he he scored a brilliant goal against Arsenal in a derby um, you know he he's just such a Spurs player you know like when I think of the DNA of a Spurs player, like, you know, he he fit every single category. He wasn't there that long, was he? He was I, I sort of in my mind, he's I think he's got like a sim he's got a similar impact to someone like Ginola at Newcastle. Yeah, he was there a couple of years and, and really him going is what allows Bale to move centrally. Um, you know, for the sort of VS Boas era where, where Bale goes absolutely crazy and just starts scoring these wonder goals um that's you know that's as a consequence of Bale being able to sort of move a bit more central and uh, and Van der Bart having moved on but if you look at Van der Bart's career he was very much like a nomad um and he is actually um you know he's actually from a traveler background and he has said you know that the the reason that he moved clubs so often was just because he felt like you know that was in his you know, that was in his nature that that he was a a sort of nomadic character. Yeah, I've got to say, I'm an Arsenal fan. I've obviously not got much to say today, but uh, yeah, Van der Vaart, what a talent! You know, it's one of those guys when Tottenham signed him, I'm like, oh, I don't want Tottenham signing this guy. Uh, just a magnificent talent, lovely player to watch. It's funny because um, Arsenal went on this little streak of signing every single player I liked at an international tournament for ages. Like, you know, I loved watching Sanchez for Chile and then he signed for Arsenal. And I was just like, oh, God's sake, really? <laughs> like, it's just like I love watching Sanchez play. And then he signed for Arsenal. It's just like unbelievable. Um, so, yeah. And plus, you know, I'm... I'm you know, again, like massive fan of Dennis Bergkamp, and again, like sort of watching him, watching him play, it was a pleasure, no matter what shirt he was wearing. Yeah, any Dutch guy that wears that number ten is usually good for a good for a, a fantastic player, isn't he? You know, you can watch them all day long. Absolutely. I mean, he just, you know, he just had that left foot that could just, you know, open a can of beans, as the as the proverb goes. The Champions League started pretty pretty roughly for, for Spurs in this uh, twenty eleven season. Van der Vaart or no Van der Vaart, uh, they they went away to um, young boys of Bern, which sparked many a joke, as I recall, and uh, got beaten got got, be- got beaten three two. Uh, but it was a really rocky start all round in, in the league as well. There seemed to be a bit of second season syndrome. There was even a, a defeat to to Wigan, which was. 
uh, the game that prompted Rob Palmer and Harry Redknapp's foul-mouthed kind of interview. Uh, I, I won't repeat the, the exact language because we don't want a language rating on this, but uh, I'm not a wheeler dealer, I'm a football manager, is, is what it comes to mind. Uh, but then they seemed, to, was it Wolves that they ended up beating in the next game after that or two games later and they didn't really seem to look back and once they did kind of get, they smashed young boys in the return game back at White Hart Lane and from, they didn't really look back after that. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's a shame that they couldn't, you know, repeat the fourth place because um, like I say, I think it was actually a better team um, than, than the one that had finished fourth. But obviously, you know, uh, City had um, strengthened again, you know, and and that the level of money that they'd started spending was starting to look pretty ominous. Um, so it was going to be tricky, particularly as, you know, I, I know that um, Arsenal weren't the force that they had been, but they still had a very strong team and were always good for a, for a second or third place. And Chelsea, of course, Again, was was still spending a lot of money and still backing whatever you know manager was through the revolving door at that point in time. So, yeah, I think it was uh, I think it was pretty. You know, fifth was still a pretty good achievement. Uh, shame you couldn't go back to back fourth, but I think in a way as well, having that Champions League campaign, um, you know, was always probably going to have a detrimental effect on league form to some degree particularly as you had to go through that kind of qualifying route against young boys and so on. I'm just wondering if this is the first kind of time where you beat Arsenal back-to-back in the Premier League for the first time. I mean, it'd be something that you'd have to look up, I imagine. No one's got that kind of, no one's got that kind of thing on the tips of their fingers, but uh, you obviously beat them in the towards the end uh, of the season as part of securing the, uh, the Champions League in the first place with Danny Rose and then there's that game where uh, was it Kabul with the late winner? Is that yeah, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, I, I think you know the thing about derbies is that you, you you almost throw the form back out of the window, don't you? And um, it was really it was the Henri era when derbies were always miserable. There was like apps they were just miserable during that period of time. Uh, but since you know since since they since they built the Emirates, it's not been anywhere near as as bad on the whole. Um, I do remember one particularly awful derby where Rosicki scored an absolute wonder goal for them to, uh, to, to win it. And I remember that one being really depressing because it was a point where I kind of felt like we were, the, we were a better team and then they ended up winning the derby. So I remember that, that one sticks to my craw a bit. I don't know if Maz remembers the game I'm talking about or not. I think it was like 12, 13 or something like that. I can't. I, I'm honestly, this is a really blank era for me it, it, I, I just wash it out I don't know I, I wasn't watching a lot during that time it was my down down period for football for sure but yeah the Champions League like obviously finishing above above Inter um, in in the group stage was pretty uh, pretty amazing and then yeah we get uh, get Milan uh, in the round of 16 and beat them again Peter Crouch is the hero um, and then unfortunately we got absolutely battered by uh, by Real Madrid in the quarterfinals. Like we lost five 0 in aggregate. Uh, I'm right but... thinking that you 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 only had a point after the first three three games in the Champions League, and I think you needed you needed to win the last three games to go through. Was that the season you you had to do that? Uh, no, that doesn't before. sound right. Now, no, this was the one we drew against Verda, uh, beat Twente, uh, lost to wins. So yeah, I was going to say smash Twente, yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, lost it into 4-3 but Bale scored a hat-trick um, uh, beat into 3-1 Van der Bart was the hero of that one uh, beat Verder, and that was a really good Verder Bremen team that Verder Bremen team had um, they'd just sold Mesut Ozil I think at that time um, and then 23-0 draw but we finished above Inter and then yeah the, obviously that 10-11 Real Madrid team was like that was like peak Ronaldo, wasn't it? So that was a pretty good team, to be fair. So you said obviously that there's three managers, obviously Yol, Redknapp, and Pochettino, who kind of, uh, I suppose, changed the course of um, of Tottenham's fortunes. What was it that that Redknapp did that his predecessors hadn't been able to do? I mean, honestly, I think he always has an eye for a player, 
Um, I, I mean, I think you have to look at Yol and Redknapp together in a way. Um, because, I, I mean, as Pete said, a lot of the players, a lot of the players were crossing over both those eras. Um, Redknapp's strength as a coach, I think, was always that he inspired them to express themselves on the pitch. And I know that sounds like a cliche, but Redknapp isn't one really for, you know, detailed tactical blueprints and uh, changing your formation to, to to match up against the other team or anything like that. He had a pretty simple way of playing. They set up 4-4-2 or 4-4-1-1 and they just... They just went out there and played, and he bought flair players. And you know, he had a couple of tough tackling midfielders, like um, like he had uh, Palacios in there, who did a lot of the um, did a lot of the dirty work. And and yeah, they just went out and played. I think you know when you look at the Pochettino stuff, that's a little bit different because he took over a very young team that he then moulded in his image, in his, in his tactical image. I don't think that's quite the same, Redknapp. He found a pretty good group of players. He signed some more good players and he moulded them into a, into, into a really good team. I, I think what is funny about Redknapp is obviously he gets sacked having secured, you know, fourth, fifth, fifth. And there aren't managers, aren't many managers that, that kind of ends up suffering that. And I think... I, well, I always got the impression that Levy had just, had just got fed up with him um, or that he thought the grass was greener. Um, and obviously, you know, V.S. Boas did pretty well for, for for his first season and then it, it went off the rails and then the Tim Sherwood, regrettable Tim Sherwood era happened. You think you've got problems with Tim Sherwood? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, quite. He, he used that sort of, you know, that brief time when Spurs were okay under him to leverage himself to you. That's basically what happened, yeah. And there was plenty of people thinking, uh, oh, uh, you, you know, he did, didn't get a fair crack of the whip at Tottenham. It would be brilliant for us. And I quiet, quietly drinking, uh, drinking myself into a stupor at that one. Um, uh, as I said to you privately, I will always, I mean, the thing you always give Sherwood credit for is he basically did insist on the promotion of Harry Kane. Um, I don't think Harry Kane is where he is today had Sherwood not been the Spurs under-21 manager, under-23 manager, uh, and having worked with Kane for a long time, he gave him that run of games. Um, and actually, uh, like the, the Kane turning point game is the, is the game against Villa um, with the free kick. Uh, the deflected free kick and it basically that was the making of him um, and he, he kind of so that's what you give Sherwood credit for what you don't give him credit for is literally anything else I suppose the one thing we've got to give him credit for is that he did keep us up that, that one year where he first came in and uh, I, I, I'm convinced it's nothing but a new voice and the kind of classic English rock it up and style you know um, Mike Bassett kind of tactical approach but it you know for, for three months it works it's I, just what you what you do after three months that's the trouble i, I saw well, someone say on twitter social is going through isn't it the the uh you know united um needed a bit of the old uh needed someone from the major fabric of the club and it worked for a couple of months and ever since then he's kind of been mm, is he good enough no, I think is becoming ra- clear quite rapidly. It's, it's like so I saw someone say on Twitter the other day that Frank Lampard is Tim Sherwood with a Latin A level. That's, yeah, I saw that. That's a bit harsh, <laughs> that one. <laughs> it's funny. funny, funny. I don't know. I think the jury, jury's still out there for me, but uh, it's funny. I'll give him. I'll give him credit for that. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, you know, when we, I think when you look at. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, you said, I think, Joe, you said earlier on the, we, you know, the sort of the consistency of player selection is there for quite a long period of time because we lose Berbatov to United um, and then obviously Bale and Modric to Real Madrid. But you can kind of say, all right, fair enough. Everyone loses players to Real Madrid. 
so really I, I always think Berbatov was the you know the last transfer where it was like okay we're a bit small time because this is a player who is our best player and you know we would have we would have loved to have kept him and they you know United took Carrick from us and then Berbatov from us having already taken Sheringham from us you know in sort of 97 so it was very much um I think a turning point with you know after that I don't think really Bale and Modric aside we've kind of lost players that we wanted to keep yeah, that's that's a, a key difference, isn't it? Is that Gareth Barry was not the last player we lost. In fact, it heralded more people leaving. Whereas Berbatov was like a. Other than the fact you didn't keep Van der Vaart that long, I suppose. It, it, Berbatov was actually thus far and no further for Tottenham. Yeah, I always feel like it's a bit of a watershed because you know Levy did everything he could to keep him. Like he really did every single dark art. Like I think he. Uh, I don't know, did a few a few fairly dodgy things with sending United faxes that weren't official and stuff like that. <laughs> and at the end it like it, it all it all went through but pretty late and 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 you know, it, it's meant that, that that people are sort of, you know, reluctant to negotiate for him. I think there there are two sides with Levy because that's a strength in some ways, but then like when Villa were in the championship he he bid some absolutely pitiful amount for Jack Grealish where if he'd actually put in a fair offer I, I think Villa would have sold at that time and you know we would have had this inbuilt Christian Eriksen replacement and we wouldn't have had that nonsense that happened last season where you know Eriksen was running down his contract and phoning it in from like six miles away every time he played football um because we could have just said, okay, you can go, Ericsson. We've got Grealish waiting in the wings. So, yeah, it's 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 a funny one. I think Levy is in many ways a massive asset. Like, I don't think we're ever going to be in sort of, you know, financial trouble in the way that some of these FFP clubs have been in. But at the same time, occasionally, it's just like, pay the money, Daniel. <laughs> Matt, you all right? Yeah, I'm all right. It's Spurs, I just don't. I don't want to talk about it. All right, all right. Well, well, this first topic that might get you more kind of interested, uh, because there's one player who took a lot of stick through this run. Um, they replaced Paul Robinson with Aurelio Gomez. Yeah, God, he was rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> even look, he's one of those players that looks like they don't have a clue before you even see him play, doesn't he? He just, <laughs> he, he don't look like he, he's got a clue what's going on in in the world. What I'll say about Gomez is that he he was very very good for Watford, so it, it, he was it was he I almost think of him as being like the Brazilian David James, like <laughs> he was absolutely rubbish for us, and then he went to Watford and he was brilliant for a couple of seasons there. Um, but yeah, it's funny like we that fit, feels incredibly hard on David James. <laughs> well, I, I think people forget how bad David James really was at Liverpool. Oh yeah, he was a kid though, wasn't he? Yeah, but he was like big money and yeah, true. You know, true. It's kind of it's a bit like um, when De Gea first went to United and just you know like Bolton just like throwing big centre forwards at him and he couldn't catch the ball and stuff. Yeah. No, he was he was bad at, at Liverpool. I just mainly remember him coming back to Villa after five or six years of leaving, and he broke the clean sheet record. Uh, playing for Portsmouth under Harry Redknapp, funnily enough, so it all does tie together. Uh, and he got a, a big ovation from the Villa fans. And it'd been years since he'd left. He was still held in, in really fond memories, even though he'd, I think he was only with us for a year or two uh, before he went on to, to West Ham. I always thought it's funny that, um, you know, in that World Cup where, uh, you know, Rob Green had his disaster and then they were like, let's shore things up by putting David James in goal. That's <laughs> the greatest surprise to me. Like, yeah, our keeper's made a bad handling error. Let's put David James in. Yeah, that's maybe not the the one the thing that he was best at. <laughs> what is it about English goalkeepers doing that? We've got it with Pickford at the moment, haven't we? Oh, Pickford needs to never play for Everton again. Never mind, never mind uh, you know, England. It's a jinx. It's a jinx Very position. Don't, don't, you know, I'm just waiting for Lloris's breakdown at some point this year with injury and then we get the Joe Hart show at Spurs. That'll be fun. 
It's funny. I was watching that uh, Europa League game, like with my hands like firmly over my eyes, wondering if Joe Hart would do something weird. Like I read something which I just couldn't believe, and it was something like, "There's he can't dive to one side anymore." <laughs> what? <laughs> it was something. Like, he's, it was something Derek like, Zoolander like, can't turn left. <laughs> yeah, yeah. it was like I read. I forget what it was, but it was something like. Like he's developed a problem where he can't dive to one side; he has to kind of just shuffle across the goal. How how is he employed as a as a goalkeeper? Uh, he fits the homegrown rule. I mean, there, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why they they took him, and I think one of, well, one of them was the fact that you need a certain amount of homegrown players in your squad, and he counts as one. Um, and obviously the experience and blah blah blah. And I think Mourinho just likes his personality he's kind of you know one of those kind of macho Mourinho type of guys but I mean he actually had a decent game that you in that Europa uh, League qualifier so so um I'll I'll reserve judgment he can't be any worse than Gazaniga to be absolutely honest so Everton were like we're linked with Gazaniga today I know it's hilarious I was like yeah you can have him <laughs> I'll, I'll drive him there myself. He <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like it's funny because it was a bit. I was just thought like he was. Pochettino had this sort of slight habit of buying slightly crap Argentinian players, like just out of a slight sort of sense of national pride. <laughs> that was probably you know one of the few things about Pochettino is that he thought one Foyth could play football and he thought Gazaniga could play in goal. It's, you know, he's he, two of his Achilles heels there. Yeah, but I, so I think, you know, um, I think overall, you know, it's like as a, as a mini as a mini era, I think it's 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 just that sort of um, a, a ability to take that initial success and, um, you know, and build on it through some some good managerial appointments and some good investment and some good youth players coming through. And I think sometimes there's a lot of luck involved. And I do think there was a bit of luck involved with this because, you know, we took Carl Walker from Sheffield United. We couldn't have known he'd be the best fullback in the league for a, a sort of three season span. Same with Danny Rose from Leeds. Like, I mean, obviously Rose is shot to bits now, but he was fantastic um, those few years under Pochettino. Um, and, you know, like sometimes you just take a, you know, you take a gamble on putting someone like a Harry Kane in because, you know, your big money signing Soldado turns out to be a bit rubbish and, and he and he becomes a um you know, becomes someone that's probably threatening to break Alan Shearer's Premier League goals record so long as he stays fit. Um so there is a lot of luck involved. I think if I was looking back at Newcastle under Bobby Robson, I, I think it's probably at that point where where they hit the Champions League, that's when they needed to sort of spend the kind of money they were spending in the 90s. And I don't know if it was just wasn't there by that point in time or not. Um, I mean, oh. I think the only sort of really big name they can bring in is Patrick Cliver on, and it's not, he's at the back end of his career. It's mm. not, it's just not what you need. And I think at that point, it's already starting to unravel. Because Gary Speed left not long after that, saying that he, he thought that there was no ambition in the club, didn't he? Yeah. That was his and, quote when he left. And, you know, the, that, I mean, the, the season all falls apart. You know, Robson, um, uh, Robson leaves very early in that 2004-2005 season. Um, yeah, I think it's sort of September he, 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 he departs. Um, and <laughs> we, 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 we've never really recovered from it. No, and, and and you know, like, uh, and you know, here's a question because obviously Leicester, we talked about last time around. Obviously, they won the league, then obviously had a down season. But under Brendan Rodgers, they look like they are going to be threatening the top four at least for as long as Rodgers is there. And I think, like we said last time, that a, a big a big job will probably come up for Rodgers at some point. But um, while he's there, I mean. What do we think? Do we think they're going to be a, a team that sort of threatens that that top six for a a long time now? I think there's there's a there's a few teams in the league right now who can do it. I think Leicester are one. Of, you know, they on on any given day, um, 
you know, less less, and they've done it, haven't they? They they thrashed City the other weekend and then lost three 0 at home to West Ham. So there's obviously some consistency issues that need ironing out. Um, you know, Everton are probably in you know it's early days yet, yeah, but they're probably in that uh, that group. Uh, yeah, Wolves as well. Yeah, yeah, I know Sheffield United are struggling this season. They they finished what six last season. Mm. Um, I mean, like, yeah, Wolves are one obviously with the Portuguese connection and the, you know, the connection to Jorge Mendes. Like, you know, you feel like they're going to keep getting good players in. Um, I feel like they're doing a similar thing to what Southampton were doing, maybe sort of six, seven years ago. Like they. They bring players to the Premier League. They have one good season. They move on, but they see they keep they seem to keep getting good players in. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think there's a few teams. Leicester, I think. Uh, I mean, what happens when Vardy retires? Oh yeah, just, I mean, that this is that source of it's that source of goals, and I think what all these teams have had in had in common is a reliable source of goals um, and as soon as that source of goals goes <laughs> what happens yeah it's interesting actually because Defoe he scores like 25 goals this season um, including five in one game uh, against Wigan uh, we beat Wigan 9-1 in one game in the 0-9-10 season um, but it's interesting is that yeah certainly Spurs have done very well for that sort of primary goal scorer because obviously you know Berbatov, Keane, Defoe um, and then lastly you know Kane and Son means that um, yeah we've not been short of goals as a team obviously Bale had his completely insane 12-13 season where he scores you know he scores like I think 20 something goals but they're all 30 yard rockets. (laughs) I mean to sort of draw the comparison I mean obviously at that time Newcastle had Alan Shearer um, they bring in Michael Owen uh, for a, for a record fee, and he he just doesn't. You know, he, there's injuries. He doesn't quite gel with the team. He's he's certainly not remembered on Tyneside in the way you might expect for a record signing. And then since, I mean, we had Oberfemi Martins again, didn't quite stick. And so there's never been that kind of, apart from one season where uh, Papi Cisse and uh, Denver Bar were just banging him in left, right, and centre. Um, was that the Pardew season? The, yeah, <laughs> big Pards. It was. Uh, I mean, and that was that was a mental season. What, that was a great team. Um, fell apart quicker than it came together, to be honest. Was that ben but, Arthur uh, as well. Sorry, Ben Arthur was there at that time as ben, well. Yeah, they had Ben Arthur, Johan Kabai. Oh, that was a team. Like that, like serious, <laughs> serious uh, wheels coming forward, and you know. Yeah, Newcastle have got a thing for mercurial French wingers, but and you know, I, I suppose the, the, thing, the, the thing to say about Everton this season is they've they seem to have unearthed a goal scorer. Um, yeah, that's true. I mean, I, you know, James Rodriguez is 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 quality and has definitely improved that team. But Calvert Lewin is you know, he, someone's got to put him away. And he's he's on he's on a bit of a streak, and if he can keep that going, then Everton, are, you know, they they could be up there come the end of the season. Before and you the, know, watching Calvert Lewin is very much like watching Kane five years ago. Mm. You know, it, it's a, it's it's like it's very much you can see you know the similarity is 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 there like you know sort of physically the sorts of goals that he's scoring. Um, the only difference is that Calvert Lewin is actually really quick as well. So. I mean, he could be, yeah, a serious, serious player. And, you know, Carl Ancelotti played with one of the very best centre-forwards of our lifetime in Marco Van Basten. So he's certainly seen good centre-forward play up close and knows how to pass it on. I think there's... I've read somewhere recently that... Um, obviously, Ancelotti worked very closely with Filippo Enzano, who scored something like 300 career goals, and 200 of them were, were hit first time. And Calvert Lewin appears to be trying to do that. They're, they're just getting into position and just being in a position just to just to put the ball away. I think two hundred um, of Zaghi's goals were from less than two yards out as well. <laughs> but 
it's, it's a very and, and, and in, skill, in the bar years, it'd have been offside for half of them as well, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, going back to Leicester, if if they can't replace Jamie Vardy, then they could they could sink. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you, you kind of think that you know Rogers got the best out of Danny Sturridge. So you do wonder if he's, he's actually, he seems to be pretty good at identifying goal scorers because, you know, like Sturridge at City and then at Chelsea, he never quite, you know, he's one of those players that you kept hearing the name and, and hearing about the potential. And then you never actually really saw it translate into loads of goals. And then they had that season playing alongside Suarez where they both just scored a million goals. And, um, so I do think if if he gets his hands on a decent young player, uh, Rogers, I think I think they can they can be all right. I think the other thing is Vardy looks like he's going to go on like forever, doesn't he? It doesn't look like slowing down anytime soon. Oh, he's he's like Federer, isn't he? He just seems to be getting better and better with age. Like he's not losing his he's not lost any of his speed. So I think like, yeah, like but he's thirty three now. But he's probably not had you know that that. You know that he's got years left in the tank, probably because he's probably yeah, not worked it quite so hard when he was young. He probably wasn't being pushed. Really, like, really yeah, got he's got plenty of miles on the clock, so to speak. Vardy perhaps doesn't have as many miles on the clock. You know, yes, yeah, the in writing, isn't it? That burst the pace he's got. You know, that's not a thirty-three-year-old's burst of pace, is it? No, but I, I, and the other thing is, I suppose, increasingly in in sports generally, it's they understand more about how how those sort of attributes can be maintained, and we, we see we see. It, I mean, Jimmy Anderson's still playing sort of top level cricket at the age of thirty eight, thirty nine. Um, doesn't appear to be seems to be in even better physical condition than he was maybe ten years ago. So. Um, you know, maybe Vardy will play till he's in his late 30s and still be an effective force. We don't know. It'll be interesting to see. This yeah. this kind of conversation is um, is leading me to one of the last red nap acts of this whole Spurs team because we're talking about the need for replenishment. Really, you know, when do players run out of their natural playing lives and what have they got left? And one of the last. I think the last season he was there, he had this this massive clear out of the side, uh, and I just wondered like how important that was going forward, and did it did it create the space for what happened with Gareth Bale subsequently to be getting rid of Keane and Palacios and Hutton and Crouch and Pavlichenko all at the same time and having this great kind of replenishment of the side. Uh, yeah, I think it's important to. I mean, this is what the problem was with the end of Pochettino's run. Really, is that they he worked pretty much with the same group of players the whole time he was there. And so by the end of it, the message, you know, once, you know, once you get to the end of that Champions League campaign and lose to Liverpool, there's kind of no coming back then. Um, and I think probably Maz would agree that the the last sort of five years of Wenger was, was similar. It was a bit like there was nothing new to say. Um, so, yeah, I do think it was important that they, they did sort of turn over the size a little bit. Um, and certainly like that VS Boas side was a very different side to, to the Red Nat one in that it was basically built around Gareth Bale. It was kind of, you know, keep it tight um, and let Gareth win the game for us. Um, I mean, it's a bit like what the, what the sea, what uh, Seattle Seahawks do in the NFL. It's like, you know, we'll, uh, we won't, we won't concede many points. And then our quarterback, is really special um it was a little bit like that like Bale was just winning games all by himself that year so they kind of re repurposed the side around its best player um whereas then you know the Pochettino team was much more of a you know a unit with lots of moving parts were there any of those players that got let go that you were sad to see leave I mean, were you like pining for another season out of Jamie O'Hara or the Scottish <laughs> Cap, the Scottish Cafu, Alan Hutton, or, or was it the right time for all of them? I saw. I thought Jamie O'Hara. I saw Jamie O'Hara was having a row with somebody 
I forget what it was about. He's like a national league manager now, I think. And he was rowing with somebody. He's named up of Sky Sports News. I was like, what? Why are they talking to him? Um, I, well, I think the players that I always was sad to see leave, uh, but they always seemed to come back, was always Defoe and Keane. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, you know, I, I thought it was the wrong time to let go of them, you know, every time that they left, really. Uh, I was always sad about them. Um I mean, Crouchy could have stayed around for a bit longer. He stayed. He stayed a, a good player for a while longer. Um, he was very good for Stoke afterwards, wasn't he? Yeah, I think you could have got a bit more mileage out of him. But overall, you know, it it was um, uh, obviously Kyle Walker was about to come into the team, so so Hutton going made sense. Didn't he go to Villa actually? He did, and was they both did, didn't they? wasn't Walker on there for one season and then Spurs like, right, we like him. You can have Alan Hutton instead. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. We had uh, Walker on loan. And it was for us that he broke through. Uh, he was brilliant. He was, he was probably the best, as you say, the best fullback in the league playing in that Villa team, which tells you all you need to know. Uh, and then, yeah, he first had him back and sold us Alan Hutton for 4 million. And he was a dud up until about the last 18 months of his Villa career when uh, he suddenly became a bit of a cult hero. Yeah, I was. I mean, I always thought he was a good player early on for us, and then he went for a really dreadful patch. Um, yeah, funny. Like uh, the. I mean, I think you know the reason why the Pochettino run was so good in a lot of ways is because he kind of he walked into the club with Rose and Walker already there, with Vertonghen already there, and then he buys out of Wirral from you know from uh, Atletico, having had him on loan at Southampton the year before. And then there's your back four for the next five years. And you added um, Brad Friedel at that point, which was the transfer that really hurt. It's the one where we realised it was over. Uh, you lose your first choice goalkeeper. And, uh, you know, we were then basically fighting relegation forevermore. Uh, but sit on the bench, didn't he? Friedel was really good for us. Um, he, he had a good year or two, I think, before he sat on the bench. He, yeah, he, did, ev- he did eventually become the understudy, I assume, to Lloris, so, unless I'm missing someone in the middle. You we bought Lloris with the bail uh, money, pretty much, I think. But yeah, I mean, Friedel was brilliant, basically, from the moment he left Liverpool. He was brilliant for Blackburn, he was brilliant for us, and he was brilliant for you until you went and bought a young kid who was going to be your goalkeeper for the next 10 years. I, I don't know what more you can ask of a goalkeeper than what Brad Friedel's uh, given to English football. And was brilliant for the USA. I mean, yeah, like in how many World Cups did he play in? I think three or third, four World Cups. Thirty-eight. Thirty-eight World Cups. <laughs> that's, that's that's about right. It's about right. I mean, he was. I mean, there, there, there was one. I think he, it was against Belgium. I think a, a, a group game. USA played against Belgium. I think it was. Uh, and and he was ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. The one thing I'll, I'll say about Brad Friedel is whenever I've looked at him, I've always thought he's about 48 years old, regardless of how old he is. He's always looked the same. He's 49 now. He's always looked, <laughs> he's always looked 48. <laughs> yeah, he was... Um, he was... He was as well at this, at this point. And Idiger Johnson. In, yeah, uh, he, he came in for a bit. Um, just uh, linking back to our, our, our Chelsea episode. I mean, this, I suppose it's it, it was a really sort of interesting time to be a be a Spurs fan. It's, I think it's um, what we discussed with um, them going on to become a force in in Europe. Sort of, it's, it's been an interesting discussion around some of the other clubs who kind of didn't quite manage to do it as well. Do you have any final thoughts on this sort of period in history for Spurs or? Yeah, just something I look back on very fondly. I mean, to be honest, when I kind of look back, a lot of my favourite Spurs players that I've seen, you know, are, are, are come from this era, like Modric, you know, Modric, fans of art, um, obviously Bale, uh, Defoe and Keane will always be, have a, a, a massive place in my heart. Um, so it was, it, was, it was a really good team. I think the only thing you'd say is about those Redknapp teams is that the, the defence was nowhere near as good as the as the Pochettino defence would be um, but if you look at any of Harry Redknapp's teams over the years like uh, you wouldn't say defending was his first priority anyway 
I I don't know that there's much more about Spurs that I would want to add. Although you you could pick out any number of potential uh, like players to to fixate on and think what what happened to you know Tom Huddleston, Jake Livermore, any number of players that we could spin out for another ten minutes of conversation. What happened to them? What and 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 so on. But in the general kind of football environment. What strikes me is just how it's in this first season it could get lost while we just focus on Spurs. Just how great the title race was that year because you had a bunch of teams that were not brilliant. Uh, so many of the things we've spoken about have been great teams, like the '94 United team and the Chelsea team uh, under Mourinho, and we didn't have one of those. And what that meant was you had this title race that went down to the last day. And a, a race punctuated very much by individual performances. So Drogba played out of his skin this season. Uh, we we haven't had a chance to mention now. Obviously, it's not a Chelsea special or anything. Um, I, I think uh, probably I think Wayne Rooney probably had one of his very best seasons for Man United this year as well, uh, which led to a lot of optimism going into the World Cup, which fell as hard as any other English <laughs> World Cup optimism <laughs> falls. Uh, so that's that, that's one of the abiding things I would probably throw at this is that you've got this wonderful story around the. Um, Tottenham looking to break into the top four, Man City looking to break into the top four, Liverpool stuttering and, and kind of uh, falling down, even though Torres had a pretty good year, as I recall. And then you've got these wonderful performances from some very special players who are all-time Premier League legends right at the top and a title race going down the last day. It's it's a better season than I think we might be first thinking. And there's probably some mileage in coming back to this kind of this year, just from different perspectives. I don't know who's more interested in the championship this year, so. <laughs> Did you win one that of those yo points. Yeah, one of those yo yo years. Um, <laughs> okay, well, it's it's been a it's been an interesting debate, and uh, we'll we'll leave it there for for this week. Um, next week we're going to do something a bit different. Uh, we're coming away from the Premier League. We're going to have a look at the Samba Boys. Uh, we're going to have a look at Brazil and their, their sort of arc between uh, uh, probably about 1998 to 2002. Uh, I suppose the, the, the image that comes to mind is uh, is Ronaldo. So uh, there's a some very interesting uh, a conversation to be had about, around that team. But until then, we've been four at the back. We'll see you next week. <laughs>